Welcome to 40 Going On 14. I am Mike. I am Patrick. I'm Joel. And I'm Josh. And sometimes not remade is better. <laughs> better. 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 <laughs> yeah, he got his East Coast on, didn't he? Uh, sometimes dead is better. Sometimes I fall down the stairs. <laughs> yeah. So this week we are going over Pet Cemetery, nineteen eighty nine to twenty nineteen. Our standard compare and contrast about what you do with your dead cat and things. Yeah, that's that's accurate. It's a weird fucking way to say it, but it's <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong. <laughs> 101 things to do with a dead cat. I love that book. I still have it. That's awesome. In fact, I think we have two copies in the house because I think Sarah had that book as well. <laughs> oh, it's kismet. So if uh, you like dead cats, and who doesn't, you might like the shows on the Podcast Collective, such as I Am Salt Lake, Tales from the Hard Side, the Portland Beer Club Podcast, the Dog and Deuce Show, and of course, the Red Dead Radio Hour. <laughs> I wonder if you took all of them and put them together, it would be like the McBain thing in in uh, <laughs> Simpsons. He's actually singing a song. It's just taking sixty episodes to do it. Come on, Mike. I'm not that smart. He's got right. you there. I, I rescind my statement. <laughs> Although I do kind of now want to go back and edit that out. <laughs> do a super cut. <laughs> yeah. Starting with when you did it, Pat. Oh, oh my yeah. god. Yeah, that would be, be, the- be like a duet. Oh. Try and edit them together into a song. <laughs> I already got enough supercuts I'm working on. I don't Fast forward a year, the four of us are standing on stage at the Emmys. We're like, we don't know what the hell we're doing here. <laughs> I don't know how this happened. So what do you attribute to your success? I have no goddamn idea. <laughs> we're at the Emmys? We're on TV? Yeah, sure. Yeah, because we do a song and then it was like, God damn, they are they sing songs good. We should Sometimes the, the Emmys is better. Like, I think Joel was trying to trying to say that the, I think you mean the Grammys. Did I? Whatever. I don't watch that shit. Yeah, the Tonys, whatever. The Tonys, the Grammys, the Wallies. Razzies. Is there a Wally? The Wallies? The Dundies. Wally. <laughs> so if you're looking for more of this for reasons. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Blueberry, Stitcher, TalkShoe, Popper, and we've got some new places. We are going to be on uh, Geek Life Radio again. That's coming back up. Uh, we are on iHeartRadio, Spotify, and what was the last one that we were on? Podchaser? Oh. No, there was something else that was new. I can't remember. There's so many things oh. that have been adding us. 
yeah, this is I'm I've been trying to uh, get us into several different places, and I don't remember. We're we're places though. We're places. Yeah. We are places. Up. You'll find us. So, and if you want to give us a call and let us know if there's places you think we should be, then seven oh eight now wrap. That's seven oh eight six six nine nine seven two seven. We're available for kids parties. We are not available no. for kids parties. <laughs> no, we are not. I am. That may be, but we are not. I don't want to do kids parties. Yeah, I get, before there's any more follow up, I think it's about that thing. <laughs> oh, tune you in radio. I my mouth shut. I was like, I'm done. <laughs> tune in radio. That's where we are. We're on there too. Kids love Woody Allen impressions. See, <laughs> it's about that time. This week in music, movies, and TV. All right. (laughs) You're slowly going into the water boy every time you do that. Oh, yeah. Joel and I talked about that the other day. It's like, I always, when I try to do that impression, I always end up turning into Bobby Boucher. I would like to see. What is better? Conditioner is better. Pet Cemetery remade with Bobby Boucher living across the street. Didn't they just make that? Isn't that basically what Hoobie Halloween is? Oh, that road is dangerous. <laughs> Mama says that's the devil's road. Follow me. I know. I know where to step. Gravel road is better. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, okay. So, so I went. God damn it, Joel. April 21st, 1989, the release of the original Pet Cemetery. Music, go! The number one song in the land was She Drives Me Crazy by Fine Young Cannibals. <laughs> I don't want to laugh at that because it's just going to encourage him to do it again. But <laughs> I'm not saying anything. I refuse to acknowledge that. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to do it again. That song still kind of perplexes me that it was as, as popular as it was, but yet anytime it was on, I'd still sing along. See, I love that song, and I was not a huge Fine Young Cannibals fan. Hmm. It's just such kind of a anomaly. It's a good, you know, good song. She drives me crazy. Oh, oh. <laughs> Is that the remake? On April 28th, John Bon Jovi married his high school sweetheart, Dorothea Hurley at the Graceland Wedding Chapel in Las Vegas, Nevada. They are still married to this day. Good on him. Yeah. Something that is rarity, especially for rock stars ever. Let alone a high school sweetheart. And finally in music, Massachusetts declared April 24th the acronym of the week. <gasps> N-K-O-T-B-D. I'm pretty sure that stands for uh, North Korea Obeys the Baby Dictator. i like that one north korea's best korea that may not have gotten like the biggest laugh but i i respect that one okay i'm glad you enjoyed it (laughs) (laughs) but was he right pat no that is new kids on the block day oh yeah new kids on the block day you were close they're hanging tough new kids on the block are from north korea who knew? No, they're baby dictators. <laughs> they're baby. <laughs>
All right, moving on to movies. The number one movie in the land was Pet Cemetery, taking in $12 million, which broke Friday the 13th, the final chapter's record for the highest weekend debut in April. Hmm. Wow. April. That's not how I expected that sentence to end. Right? Those both seem like it should be October movies. Yeah, but I guess that was before all studios, like, clustered their horror movies in the, like, month before, month after October and during October. Yeah, I remember going to see Christine in like in like July or something. Yeah, as long as it's not January, that's where they stick all the flushers, the ones they don't have any faith in. Huh. On April twenty third, Field of Dreams, starring Kevin Costner, James Earl Jones, and Burt Lancaster, was released. Who was Burt Lancaster in that film? That's what I was wondering when I copied that. I didn't look it up though. He must have played one of the old timey. Shoeless Joe types. Must have been. Yeah. I do not remember him in that movie. Huh. Maybe he played the the, the father. I don't know. Oh. Uh, yeah. Huh. That might make sense. Every time I think of Burt Lancaster, I always think of Scrooged. <laughs> oh. He's the old guy with the driving cap and the mustache. That, help that literally does absolutely nothing for me to figure out. That. One of the guys on the team, though? I'm trying to look up his character name to see, but I can't. It's been a while since I've seen that. I get, I, every time I think of that movie, I think of the fact that the, somebody I know was one of the camera operators for both that and Home Alone. Yeah, yeah apparently Wait. in shooting that movie, Kevin Costner uh, would go bowling with the crew, and my friend uh, would get drunk and uh, bet his paycheck against Costner's paycheck that he could beat him in bowling, and he'd lose, but Costner would give him his money back anyway. <laughs> Burt Lancaster played Dr. Archibald Moonlight Graham. So, mm. yeah, he was one mm. of the players. My, one of my favorite scenes in that movie is when uh, James Earl Jones grabs a bat. What are you going to do? I'm going to beat you with this bat until you go away. But you're a pacifist. What? God damn it. <laughs> All right. Uh, George Alexander Kolouris was an English film and stage actor. Kolouris made his stage debut with Henry V at The Old Vic. By 1929, he made his first Broadway appearance, followed by his first Hollywood film role in 1933. A major impact on his life was Orson Welles, whom he met in 1936. Welles invited Kaluris to become a charter member of his Mercury Theater, and in 37, Kaluris performed the role of Mark Antony in the company's debut production, Caesar, an innovative modern dress production of Shakespeare's Julius Caesar. In Citizen Kane, Kaluris played Walter Parks Thatcher, a financier similar to J.P. Morgan. Kaluris died in London on 25th of April, 1989, of heart failure following Parkinson's disease. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah, I mean, when, when I said 1929, I was like, ah, I know how this ends. He married his high school sweetheart. <laughs> Filled with rich green penis. <laughs> Freaking, that is my favorite. That might be my favorite scene in all of the critic. <laughs> Wait, with, that can't be right. <laughs> filled with country goodness and green penis. Wait, that's terrible. <laughs> that's what I'm out of here. <laughs> Take some peas for the road. <laughs> you know what? You know what the thing is though is that his actual recording of commercials and stuff is not far off from mm-hmm. that. No, that's that's the best part about that impression is it's really not that outrageous. Right. 
James Kirkwood Jr. was an American playwright, author, and actor. His best-known achievement was writing A Chorus Line, for which he received the Tony Award, the Drama Desk Award for Outstanding Book of a Musical, and the Pulitzer Prize for Drama. He died from AIDS-related complications on April 21st. So, man, that's a hell of a career. Indeed. Yes. I'm just glad I got through my section without fucking flubbing a word. Yeah, we're two for two. All right, Mike, keep it going. It's a beer frame. (laughs) (laughs) All right. The top shows in the land were Roseanne, The Cosby Show, Cheers, and A Different World. Yeah. Yeah, not not the best lineup we've had for the late 80s, but still. Very 80s. Okay, so Lucille Desiree Ball was an American actress, comedian, model, studio executive, and producer. She was a star and producer of the sitcoms I Love Lucy, The Lucy Show, Here's Lucy, Life with Lucy, and Death with Lucy. (laughs) Not that last one. Um, As well as a comedy television specials aired under the title The Lucy Desi Comedy Hour. Her career began in 1929 when she landed work as a model, and then she began performing her her performing career. God damn it, there it goes. (laughs) She then began her performing career on Broadway using the stage name Diane Belmont. Simon Belmont. She later appeared in several minor film roles in the 1930s and 40s as a contract player for RKO Radio Pictures. During this time, she met Cuban band leader Desi Arnaz, and the two eloped in November 1940. In 1951, she and Arnez created the sitcom I Love Lucy, a series that became one of the most beloved programs in television history. This just keeps going. In 1962, Ball became the first woman to run a major television studio, Desilu Productions, in which she produced many popular television series, including Mission Impossible and Star Trek. Ball was nominated for 13 Teen Primetime Emmy Awards, winning four times. She was also the recipient of the Golden Globe Sisu B. DeMille Award in 1979, inducted into the Television Hall of Fame in 1984. She received the Lifetime Achievement Award from the Kennedy Center Honors in 1986, the Governor's Award from the Academy of Television Arts and Sciences in 89, and she continued to appear in film and television roles for the rest of her career until her death on April 26th, from an abdominal aortic aneurysm at the age of 77. That is the, I think, singular television artist that when they died, I cried. I was very upset when she passed away. I know that you and Pat are huge fans of her, and I'm a moderately big fan. Is that is like she important to all four of us? I guess that's a question for Mike. I enjoy her stuff. I mean, I will watch. It's definitely something I'll stop. And it's not like I have pictures of her hanging around the house or anything. But I I mean, for a career from a woman who started in TV and, and stage in 29s and was running a studio after all that. <laughs> you'll be you'll be hard pressed to find a woman in the entertainment industry more important to women in the industry than yeah. Lucille Ball. That's a good point. Yeah. I mean, she broke a lot of ground in in what she did. And, and the thing is, the other thing is that she was almost universally loved. I mean, there was nobody who was like, oh, yeah, you know, Lucy's great. You know, don't do all these shows. But, you know, in real life. Oh, well, she didn't have to work with her. Yeah. I was going to say, William Frowley referred to her and Vivian Vance <laughs> as brass-bound bitches. Yeah. I mean, but she had to be that to get what she wanted to do in that time, man. I mean, yeah, at, the, at that point in time, you couldn't, you couldn't be a wallflower of a woman and get anything yeah. done. Yeah. You had to be a brass bound bitch to be able to run a studio. But yeah, the, the, the behind the scenes at the, I love Lucy 
studio were just nasty. None of the four of them got along. I mean, the closest, obviously, were Lucy and Desi, and even they fought all the time. Yeah, Vivian had to always be overweight in order to make Lucy look better. And Yeah, it was in her contract. She had to weigh more than, like, 15 pounds more than Lucille Ball, I think. And, well, and Lucy was just, was funny, you know? Yeah, and, was, for, and and Vivian Vance and William Frawley wouldn't speak to each other unless they were doing set, you know, unless they were on set doing their lines. They, would, they wouldn't talk to each other unless they were actually doing the script. Wow. Yeah, it was a, it was an ugly set. It was kind of sad to find out about that later. Yeah, when I read her book, I was like, oh, "Wow." Yeah, but it didn't ruin it for me. I still love Lucy. Yeah. Also, Aaliyah Martine Shawkat. 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 Aaliyah Shawkat. Aaliyah Shawkat. Born April 18th as an American actress and artist. She's known for her roles in State of Grace, Arrested Development, The Final Girls, and Search Party. She's also guest starred as Frances Cleveland, Virginia Hall, Alexander Hamilton on uh, Comedy Central's Drunk History. If you have not checked out Drunk History, definitely do so. It is very entertaining. Absolutely. Yeah. Some episodes are better than others, but the ones that are good are really fucking good. Yeah. And we all know her from Arrested Development. Yep, that's the main way I know her, as maybe Funke. And she was in uh, Pee-wee's Big Vacation as well. Hmm. Yeah, we did that for a show, yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah, we did, didn't we? We've done so many shows. <laughs> <laughs> I like Alia Shawkat. She's funny. All right, moving on to sports. On April 23rd, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar played his last game as a Laker and as an NBA player, retiring with dozens of records under his belt. You guys feeling? Ha ha ha. You guys obviously know who Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was is. Yeah, he's the guy from Airplane. Right? <laughs> you tell your dad to drag Lanier and Walton up and down the court for 48 minutes. He was in Game of Death. Yes. Mhm. Hmm. He is iconic. He is one of the one of the top five basketball players of all time. For sure. I just saw him in a movie too recently. Or was it a TV show? I don't know. You're telling the story. Yeah. He was a scientist. And he rode away on a bicycle. And I cannot remember what it was now. Sorry. Moving on. That's a great was it, story. Was it Futurama? <laughs> no. Was it a newer movie or... It was a, I want to say it was a TV show, but now I'm, I'm looking it up. Were you watching Slam Dunk, Ernest? <laughs> he was yeah. watching Big Bang Theory. He's secretly a fan. He just doesn't want you guys to know. Uh, if I did, you guys would know. I don't. I, I don't yeah, we, we know you have no shame as far as what you like and don't <laughs> like. Ruth. We just add it to the list. It's true. <laughs> he was in like- Dancing with the Stars. Was did they have bikes it? on Dancing with the Stars? Maybe. I don't know. I don't watch it. Biking with the stars? Jeez. <laughs> Maybe he did sick BMX tricks on Dancing ah, with the Stars. You don't know. <laughs> he was on iZombie. Oh. Yep. He must have been the last season because I actually didn't see the last season. It was the last season. You are correct. There you go. Okay. Well, sorry. that was time well spent. Yep. <laughs> and lastly. The Hillsborough disaster was a fatal human crush during a football match at Hillsborough Stadium in Sheffield, England on April 15th. 
It occurred during a semifinal match between Liverpool and Nottingham Forest. Shortly before kickoff, in an attempt to ease overcrowding outside the entrance turnstiles, the police match commander David Duckenfeld ordered exit gate C opened. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> right, Joel? I'm imagining it was an autocorrect fail. <laughs> Leading to an influx of even more supporters to the pens. This led to a crowding in the pens and the crush. 94 people died that day. Another person died in the hospital days later, and the final victim, who never regained consciousness, died in 1993. The match was abandoned, but was restaged with Liverpool winning and going on to win the FA Cup. With 96 fatalities and 766 injuries, it remains the worst disaster in British sporting history. Holy shit. I was in a situation like this at one point in a stadium that got pretty scary at one point please do tell <laughs> at the the um the superdome in in new orleans my friend my old friend chris and i this was back when we were roommates we uh, had gone out for wrestlemania 30 which was being held there and um we got stuck in this one part there were i mean he and i got divided actually at one point um and i'm standing there in this cr- crush of people holding a soda and a plate of nachos and I'm like, well, I'm about to drop the shit out of these and just climb up the walls or something here real quick. We could, I mean, it, it got it got scary because uh, we were all jammed in this one little corridor that where where it had bottlenecked, and there were probably about 500 of us in this area. And we suddenly suddenly heard the opening bell for the for the first match. You know, before the, the it was the preliminary matches before everything started hitting the air, but. You know, people don't give a shit. They want to be there for everything. So people started freaking out and panicking and pushing and screaming. You know, and it got, it got mm-hmm. ugly there for a little while before it finally just, you know, released and we all went to our seats. But yeah. It was like, but did you save the nachos? I was going to say. <laughs> I got to the scene with the nachos and the soda. Everything was fine. I had to hold them above my head at one point. But I see Patrick. So, nachos. I've got nachos here. <laughs> people, there's food here. <laughs> Oh, we're WrestleMania sorry, fans, yeah, I was going to say, that probably saved your life. Yeah. <laughs> it's the equivalent in WrestleMania fans of pushing someone with a wheelchair. <laughs> <laughs> suddenly suddenly the, the crowd just parts and I walk through like, safely. They're like, the man has nachos. Everyone's whispering nachos. nachos. The nachos saved my life that night. <laughs> Last night the nachos saved my life. I was going, nachos saved my life tonight. <laughs> Sugar bear. <laughs> Nacho save, nacho save, nacho nachos save. Nachos in the air tonight. Hold on. Jesus. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Play us off. Keyboard Joel, please get us out of this tweet. I've gone off the rails this bad. <laughs> Yikes. 1989. A movie came out. Tragedy strikes. A grieving father discovers an ancient burial ground beside his home with power to raise the dead. The movie is known as The Pet Cemetery, and apparently it was a bigger thing than I remember it being. A lot of people have some uh, odd love for this movie, and I, I was a huge fan of the book. But uh, yeah, let's talk about the adaptation. Yeah. So uh, this is, like I said, the 1989 version. Directed by Mary Lambert. So in case you're wondering what has she, what things has she done before Pet Cemetery and Pet Cemetery 2. 
She did the video short, Queensryche, Another Rainy Night Without You, version 2. Video of Motley Crue Without You. She did a lot of music videos. She did the um, Janet Jackson Control and Nasty video. So she's the OG Mick G? Kind of. Ah, I see what you did there. Yeah, kind of she is. She did the video for Borderline, uh, Like a Virgin. Occasionally in there, she sticks a little bit of horror. So she did Tales from the Crypt, Volume 2. And uh, currently she is working on such things as something called the TV show called Daughters of Darkness, which I'm laying bet has witches in it. And most recently she did Step Up High Water. Step Up High Water. What the hell is that? Is that another Step Up movie? Are they still making those? It actually, uh, that's almost certainly correct. Oh, it is. The High Water Performing Arts School in Atlanta. That's where that, that's exactly what that is. Wow. Yeah. Franchise that nobody saw coming. Apparently not. But Joel, she also did Mega Python versus Gatoroid. Mm. She's got a really strange recipe. Gatoroid? Is that like a like a meteor with a gator air with a, with an alligator on it? Like, watch out! It's the Gatoroid. Yeah. No, it's like you a slim and- pickens on top. <laughs> an android made of Gatorade. <laughs> it's a gator with hemorrhoids. There's a there's a Jesus. No wonder he's cranky. Alligator. <laughs> Poor Gator's all like, I got IBS. Oh, humans tear my stomach. Florida Everglades as giant pythons are threatening the alligator population. So I guess the alligators build the giant robotic alligator. <gasps> Dude, I would pay to see that. We know. Got, yeah, we know, man. Okay. They don't have opposable thumbs. How are they going to do that, though? I don't know. They get the little birds that live in their mouth to do it. Oh. See? A screenplay and novel, both written by Stephen King. Who's that? He's yeah, a, like he's, an unknown author, right? Yeah, he's some... Is this one of the ones where he doesn't even remember writing it because he was so coked out? <laughs> Cujo was one. I remember. Yeah. He, he said he doesn't remember writing Cujo. Josh would know more. He's more of the Stephen King expert than any of us. Right, and this this is actually... Uh, I didn't want to like get into the book too much before we got through trivia, so... Let's put the, let's table this for a moment. We'll come back to that. Yeah, yeah. Because okay. yeah, I'm a big fan of the book, actually. Yes. So uh, this is starring Dale Midkiff as Lewis Creed, and also his understudy, which played most of the part for him. And I mentioned this in the trivia. Actually, uh, is a cardboard cutout of Dale Midkiff. Man, personally, I think the man has a the range of a yardstick, really. Uh, Fred Gwynn. Ho, ho, ho. Sorry. Fred. Was that trying to be a month? Herman Munster? Yeah, that was Herman. Oh. It was Woody Allen doing Herman Munster. Okay, we'll go with that. As Judd. Uh, Tasha Yar as Rachel Creed. <laughs> right? I yeah. could not look at her without thinking that. Yeah. Yeah, when your second biggest get after Hume- Herman Munster is Tasha Yar. <laughs> <laughs> it's... Well, I mean, it was 89, so... I love Denise Crosby. Ugh. Everybody thought they were grabbing her at like, the, the beginning of her meteoric rise, and she did, she did not. She was legendarily difficult to work with and overestimated her talent and power. Like, especially on Star Trek, like, everybody fucking hated her. 
That was one of the reasons why she had such a shitty death. <laughs> she was literally killed by something that looked like a black garbage bag. Oh yeah, I remember. I I I remember at the time they said the writers said that they were trying to show that you know how dangerous everything is because even routine. The, the whole thing behind it, what what they said to the press was. We know that everything that they do is dangerous, but we don't really reflect that because no one ever dies. So we wanted to show a routine death in the course of just daily performing, you know, whatever, just to show how dangerous it is. When in reality, they were just like, no, we just want to write you off. <laughs> They're like, yeah. fuck that bitch. Black, yellow, <laughs> killer. Have sex with a robot and then die. <laughs> so also Brad Greenquist as the bloody Victor Pascal. Michael Lombard as... Erwin Goldman, the father-in-law. Miko Hughes as Gage Creed. No and, fair, uh, no fair. Oh my god, I was so waiting to, tell, to talk about yeah. that. <laughs> Blaze no Birdall as Ellie Creed and Susan Blomart as Missy Dandridge. Who was one of the more confusing characters of this. She likes hanging out. Oh. Not much better. Not much worse. <laughs> Stephen King once mentioned that the only novel that he wrote that really scared him was Pet Cemetery. Supposedly, that's because he wrote it after his son almost had a near-death experience getting hit by a truck. Yeah, I mean, that's the, the novel is intensely cerebral. We, we keep going back in that direction. I'm, we'll get okay. there. <laughs> we'll get there. Okay. The first choice for the role of Lewis Creed was actually Bruce Campbell which would have made this a completely different movie. What? Yeah. Big time. I think I would have really enjoyed to see this. Hmm. I'm, I, I love Bruce Campbell, but... I mean, it would have made it a different movie, like you said. Yeah. Yeah. The role of Zelda, Rachel's terminally ill sister, was actually played by a man. Director Mary Lambert wanted Zelda in her scenes to frighten the audience, but did not believe that a 13-year-old girl was scary enough, so she cast Andrew Hubisek in the role to make something to be off about Zelda. Hubisek? Yes, Andrew Hubisek, who oh. just went on to open the Hubisek Foundation. <gasps> <laughs> and he is known for such things as Pet Cemetery where he played Zelda, Blue Steel, where he played Cashier, and something called Human Resources in 2014, where he plays Sagely Janitor. That's it. So, All right. Pretty good resume. I mean, his IMDb picture is just a picture of a bed. The bed from Pet Cemetery. Not him. It's just the bed. That's odd. That is odd. Uh, Stephen King is a big Ramones fan and referenced some of their songs in the novel. In homage, the Ramones wrote and performed the theme song Pet Cemetery," which is in the film's closing credits. And Sheena is a punk rocker is what the truck driver was listening to. The only two songs in the movie. And uh, the original screenplay also featured the Wendigo. Native American demon that was mentioned in the novel, but ultimately cut from the film. Its presence is implied only twice. First in the scene where Lewis is walking through the woods at night and hears something large knock down a tree. And second, when Judd first takes Lewis up to the burial ground and there's some kind of loud crash followed by a long, almost feminine howl. Judd then looks at it and goes, it's only a loon. 
but it's clear that he does not entirely believe that himself. It's a man that's never watched on Golden Pond, if you think that's a loon. It's only a loon. You're a loony. Also in the novel, little Ellie is psychic, but Mary Lambert was not convinced that she was able to convey that in the film. The shinin. She's got the shinin. There was some shinin going on. Yeah, I was thinking about that. Like, it seems like a missed opportunity to not have an uh, adult Ellie in uh, Dr. Sleep. Yeah. Well, and I kind of wondered if Rachel had some shin in, too. She could kind of hear, uh, what's-his-face, uh, Pascal. But I don't know, since I never read the book, I thought Josh might might know if that was ever alluded to at all. Well, I mean, she does have this feeling that something's horribly wrong, which is why in the book she makes her way back for the ending. Okay. Just to get murdered. Yeah. By a two-year-old with a rope. <laughs> I got uh, questions. Well, <laughs> this is definitely one that works way better on the page than it c- ever possibly could when filmed. It's a- an intensely cerebral and emotional story of like family horror. I- I've always kind of considered Pet Cemetery an expansion of the middle of the monkey's paw story. Mm. I can see that. Where, yeah, that guy... Uh, in some ways blames himself his actions lead to the death of his son and then he does the unthinkable to bring his son back and it doesn't quite work out that way uh i I remember that in the book gage was so adorable that when he died it kind of fucked me up the first time i read it yeah this book was uh one i don't know that was even in my top five but it definitely affected me uh, when I read it, and there are certainly things, including the Wendigo, including the actual reality of Gage coming back and what he does, that unfortunately just kind of look ridiculous when they're uh, filmed. And I know I'm going to disappoint. I, I saw on Facebook that we've got some huge fans of this movie, but I thought that the effects for Gage and the cat were both bad. And I will admit that part of my negative take on this movie is because I love the book so much. Well, that begs the question, then, was this the first viewing for anybody, or have we all seen this before? This first viewing for me. I'd never, I've never read the book, never seen the movie. So I can, I can assure you, Josh, you know, not having read the book doesn't matter. This, this still was not good. Yeah, and it sucks, because there's stuff that's, like, uh, on the page is really compelling about how, like, Lewis' father, uh, he didn't, never really knew his father, and he was so close to Judd Crandall that he almost saw him as a surrogate father when he was trying to figure out what being a father is like himself. He's at that point of his life where he's he's a dad, he's got two kids, but he doesn't even really feel like an adult yet. I saw this... I was trying to figure out why, when I was watching this, I kept thinking of xylophones. And I finally called my mom and I was like, we know we see all this movie together because you were there. And turns out we were actually hanging. I was at a friend of hers house and this was on in the basement and I was just hanging out in the basement and they had a xylophone there. And I was watching this movie and screwing around on her, the xylophone in the basement while watching this movie. So the big thing I took about this is I kind of liked the xylophone, but I really did not like this movie. <laughs> that is a weird yeah. 
yeah, it's weird. But I mean, are you association? I, yeah, yeah. It's I mean, I'm just the whole time I'm watching the movie, I'm like, I'm, I kept thinking of xylophones. But I knew my mom was. I was like, "Did we go see this at the theater for some reason? Why am I thinking?" She goes, "No, so and so we used to play the xylophone." Is there a theater so. xylophonist? Like yeah, they during the movie, like, like you know, they, like the old timey days. Yeah, they had a, <laughs> a xylophone rises up from the side and they play some songs. <laughs> and then before M, we all you're, had to sing you're along. like, "Is that a is 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 that a xylophone? <laughs> is that a thing? That's a thing that happens? No, what? Well, I've probably seen this. I was telling Laura last night. I said this might might have been my like fifth or sixth time I've seen this." Really? Well, yep. I mean, that doesn't surprise me. This is a second. After the xylophone. My first. Josh? Josh? I assume Josh has seen it before. Oh, yeah, I, I saw it once. And I mean, I think it's obvious from what I've said so far. I didn't like it. So this is my second viewing. But uh, And last. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, I thought, what's his name? The dad? Did the staring off into space very well? <laughs> he did that a lot. I don't. Okay, what I'm gonna say. My first thought on this movie. I don't know if it was. It had to have been different in the book, but it just seemed like the the story of Zelda was just kind of tacked on just to be some additional weirdness. It didn't seem like it tied in very well with the actual story. Well, yeah, I mean. It's there's context for why Rachel has this issue with even confronting death with her kids. Like she's fucked up about death because of what happened to her sister and she was left alone with her and the death of her sister terrified her. I, yeah, I'm sorry. I, I didn't, I get that part of it. I'm talking, I'm not talking about the emotional aspect. I'm talking about the, like why she constantly would hear her in the walls and things like that. Gotcha. It didn't seem it didn't seem like that was really tied in very well. I'm like, and I don't like like Josh said or Joel said earlier. You know, I don't know if in the book she had more psychic powers or whatever that so that that explains why she had the shinin, you know, because that's what that explains why she could hear her in the walls. It's not explicit. It's not as explicit as with Danny in The Shining, but it's a reasonable theory. The first thing that I took away was every time they started doing the whole she's in the walls thing, uh, it was kind of creepy but it didn't make sense to me with the story it just felt like it was a like a plot b just tacked on they didn't do a very good job of tying it in i mean despite the shortcomings i i guess i just have a soft spot in this art because i are in my heart for this film because i saw it when i was fairly young i mean i was you know probably 14 or 15 but it just is one of those things that i actually went and saw the sequel in the theater when it came out Yikes. and i love Fred Gwynn, you know, being a Monsters fan since I was a kid, I liked watching him in this, and I liked his performance. At the time when I first saw it, it was a little bit more like, oh, what the hell? Yeah, that's kind of creepy. Seeing it again last night, uh, and I watched it. There, I should have told you guys, there was a documentary that was on the, that was made about this. But um, Ooh, I could have wasted I'm, more time with this. I'm kind of grateful you didn't. <laughs> it, it's a cult, it's kind of a cult classic you know a lot of people really like you saw online a lot of people have a lot of love for this film and a lot of people like anime too doesn't mean i'm gonna get into it because of that. i mean despite the shortcomings i i just find it to be kind of a a fun little trip there's parts people love sausage joel i mean wow that's true my favorite part was when judd tells joe pesci that he's got to wear a suit in the courtroom 
What's a Ute? And I mean, come on. When when Gage cuts his uh, Achilles heel tendon, whatever. Yeah, and he's like, "Hey, that Ute." And that that did you say Ute? It still hurts whenever I see that. I mean, yeah, that's brutal. But I mean, Gage's makeup and his movement, <laughs> and the fact <laughs> that he looks freaking adorable when he's trying to look mean. Yeah, it's well, he looks like Willy Wonka. Yeah, it was it was very off putting and not at all. Well, I shouldn't say not at all scary. But it was definitely more comical than scary. No fair. Kid... No fair. Oh my god! I I literally laughed out loud when he when that happened. He stabs him in the neck with the the whatever it was and morphine. <laughs> the kid, no fair. <laughs> I just lost what, it. Did like, you laugh when he hit his head on the wall too? I the whole, everything was. I mean, the whole thing was like comedic. It was not at all tense and scary. Oh, speaking of hitting your head. When Dale wakes up after Barry and the kid, and he falls out of bed, and his head, like, I don't know if it was real or not, but oh, his yeah. head ricocheted off the side table. That it, looked, looked, it looked real. It <laughs> looked real. It looked like he was, I mean, he did the whole, oh, thing. And that was probably the best acting that guy get in the whole movie. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's another big problem. Aside from Fred Gwynn, I was not impressed by any of the performances. I mean, there's some there's some decent special effects, like when Rachel comes back after he buries her, and she's got the big pus eye hole in her eye socket, and it's just stuff coming out of it. It's like, bleh. well, apparently, according to some of the other trivia that I, because there's a lot of trivia on this one, but Blaze Birdall, when Mary Lambert was trying to get her to cry for the scenes, and she's like, I want you to think of something really sad, really sad, and she wouldn't, she could, she's like, nah, not working, and then finally, literally, Mary's like, oh, I'll pay you more money, and bang, she was crying. (laughs) So, that kind of tells you. Yeah, they all acted like they were being paid to act. And, and, okay, Josh, that's what I'm going to go back to the book on this one. Missy Dandridge. (laughs) Yeah. But they didn't have any love. There You're getting no paid to act. <laughs> <laughs> You're supposed to act like you love it, not like you love the, the paycheck. Was Missy Dandridge a bigger character in the book? Because I don't she... remember her in the book at all. I'm, I'm okay. going to be honest, because it seems like she was a weird woman who picked up the was doing their laundry for them, and then she hung herself. Yeah, there you didn't know. seem there didn't seem to be a whole lot of plot development or build or anything to her. Just a re- reason why she was there outside of just them having to go to a funeral. I well, do your la- I do your laundry and I bitch at you. But yeah. it, from what I understand that the, the, the cemetery influences people to do things that they wouldn't normally do. And I don't know how true that is with the book since again, I haven't read it, but, but, but Missy never went down to the cemetery. No, but she was near. She was in the house next to the cemetery. By the way, how much does having a resurrection field in your backyard add to the value of your house? Should should they list that in the? Well, I mean, you, you they know, would tell that before they bought, you know, like in the house inspection. I should be on. Is that should that be on the one sheet? And the okay. inspector should have caught that. Yeah, <laughs> and jump and jump back a little bit also. Big it's track. not like it's not <laughs> like they said, hey. I made a phone call to Maine and they sold us a house. We're going to go to it tomorrow. None I mean, with these trucks barreling through there. They never went there with a, a realtor. They never went there to see the place before they showed up. 
I think it came as part of the deal with being the doctor at the university. Ah, oh, is my guess. That would that would be my guess. It's probably a un- university housing. Okay. Yeah, my best guess about Missy is basically in the book, Judd's wife Norma was a bigger part, and her death was a major event in the book. And I- I'm guessing that Missy was a weak ass stand-in for that plot beat. Mm. That makes sense. Looking it up, it looks like Missy Dandridge, like that character exists in the book, but she's so minor that I didn't even remember her. She was not the housekeeper. She was like a random wife of one of the doctors working with Lewis who becomes friends with Rachel and appears like twice in the entire book. Did she complain about her stomach problems? Uh, Not as far as I remember, no. I got the poops. (laughs) Not any better. Not any worse. Like, all right, Missy. Thanks for telling. Just the poops. And that and educate the child about getting the nuts clipped. That was that was her thing. This is the first first novel that Stephen King wrote a screenplay for. So I kind of want to cut him a little bit of slack on here, but him being involved him being involved is not a guarantee of quality. Like even now, like his are very hit or miss. Hmm. Yeah. And he was pretty heavily involved with this being on set. And then of course, even with his, his cameo, which became a thing for him anyway. I was quickly going to agree with Josh and talk about how his, his version of the shining that he did was, was just God awful. Oh, the made for TV thing with Steve. Yeah. 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 But he wanted to do it his way, so there you go. So, yeah, you're definitely right. His involvement does not equal automatic success. No, and, and, and from what Josh, has, what Josh has said, I think, is is probably a big reason for that, is that the way that he writes and what he writes about is hard to translate. You know, plain and simple. Some Some books are easier to do than others, and his are not those books. Well, and they, not all of his books are like this. This one is just particularly difficult to film, and it's baffling that they chose to do it twice. And I, I kind of feel like even given the difficulties in shooting the story at all, in a lot of ways, the original film failed in executing it even the best they could. See, and I, I, I feel like it was entertaining and... It's kind of like listening to a song that you don't love, but you but when it's on, you'll you'll not turn it off. That's mm. kind of what I equate this movie with. Like if it's kinda on, like she drives me crazy by the Fine Young Cannibals. Exactly. If it's on or this is on, I'll watch it. I don't own it. I, I every once in a while, I kind of want to revisit it. I'm like, oh yeah, I like that part. That was kind of cool. Oh, that was bad. And uh, it's just kind of a like like. But you enjoy. You enjoy bad cinema more than most. I mean, let's just be let's let's be yeah. honest. More than lots. Well, but I think though that that our listenership has spoken already, and I think that they would probably say the same thing after listening to this episode. That uh, how many people consider it bad cinema? And I'm not calling it bad cinema. I am. I'm calling yeah, it bad I'm, cinema. I'm definitely calling it bad cinema. I will. I, the only caveat I will make is maybe I wouldn't be so hard on it if I hadn't been such a big fan of the book. I, I'm not saying that as a universal thing because Pat didn't read the book and he thinks it sucks. Yeah, but yeah, Pat I doesn't like. I didn't read the book and 
you know, it's there's just bad acting. There's just yeah, bad pacing. There's you know, a lot going on. Fred Gwynn is the only good part of this movie, acting wise. I agree. Yeah, I mean, I can agree with that. That he is the definitely the best part of it as far as the actors go. He's fucking Fred. Oh, so you basically agree that all the ingredients suck, but the final movie is good. I mean, the actors are are there to move the story along in this. They don't. Nobody stands out. He kind of steals the show in every scene he's in. But that doesn't take away from the movie as a whole, in my opinion. Not in this in this case, no. There and are- I think in all incarnations, Judd is the best character. Oh yeah, like book original remake. Judd is the best character in Pet Cemetery. He's the easily the most likable of all of them. I mean, maybe you could make a case if you read the book for Gage pre-death. But. So there you go. Have we buried this? I think we're at the point where we can take a break. and Yeah, this is dead. We should not bury it in sour ground. We should just let it lie. <laughs> yeah. But guess what? It's coming back soon. We're going to talk about it in a little bit. 2019. Somebody said, hey, we should try again. We should win to go for it. <sighs> oh that joke was sour. <laughs> I agree with him on that one. That's kind of awful, Pat. I stand by it. You would. You stand by me. I'll stand by you. <laughs> <laughs> Calling it break. <laughs> Be back in a little bit, and we'll we'll uh, talk about Pet Cemetery 2019. We are back. Going to talk about Pet Cemetery 2019. In this one, Dr. Lewis Creed and his wife Rachel relocate from Boston to rural Maine with the two young children. The couple soon discover a mysterious burial ground hidden deep in the woods near their new home. Yeah, so a little bit more meat on that description. Uh, this is this one is directed by Kevin Kolsch and Dennis Widmeyer. So Kevin Kolsch, known for, outside of this, Starry Eyes. Absence and postcards from the future, the Chuck Palahniuk documentary, things like that. But Dennis Woodmeyer, I don't know any of those. No, oh, Starry Eyes was fucked up. I've I've heard of Starry Eyes. The uh, other guy, he's pretty. They're pretty much running neck and neck on this one. So, yeah, that's their team. Yeah, from what I understand. So the screen story, though, screen story and screenplay. There's two of these. I don't know what the difference is. I don't either. That's kind of strange. I can tell you. Oh, Joel, do tell. Well, they began developing this adaptation of Pet Cemetery back in 2010. Matt Greenberg wrote it. And when they finally got around to making it in 2017 or start work- working on it, they gave him a uh, story credit because he had written the script that they used aspects of but they basically rewrote it oh okay so this thing's been sitting in development hell for almost a decade so uh matt greenberg you may know him 
for being the writer on such things as the movie 1408, uh, mm. which I believe is another Stephen King, isn't it? Yes, sir. Yep. And it was uh, John Cusack. Yep. And uh, Reign of Fire. Oh, which is such an underrated movie. I love that. And the Invisible Man, the TV series. Interesting. From 2000. It's a weird time. Yeah. Before this, he also did Seventh Son. He was a writer on that abomination <laughs> of a movie. So, but Jeff Bueller. Was that the Macaulay Culkin one? No. No, oh, Jeff, that's a good son. No, Jeff that's Bridges, right. Julianne Moore, Kit Harrington. It's it's one of those that should have been a lot better on paper than it was on the screen. Also, Jeff Bueller, Midnight Re- Meat Train, he wrote the screenplay for that. Also wrote the screenplay for the 2019 Jacob's Ladder. Midnight Meat Train is good. Jacob's Ladder, we've already talked about. Yeah. He also did a, the pro- a re- replay of The Prodigy. Which we should think about also. It's a fire starter. But <laughs> a fire starter. I'm your fire starter. Yeah, that's the one that's got the kid who plays uh, Georgie in it. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, yes. Pet Cemetery. Cast, we got Jason Clark as Lewis, the father. Uh, Amy Semeritz. Simitz. 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 Amy Sandwich. Amy Sandwich. Amy Sandwich is Rachel. <laughs> John Lithgow as old actor carrying the movie Judd. Never heard of him. Never heard of him? Uh, I'm going to actually have to disagree with you there. I think all of these actors were good. I mean, Lithgow was the best, but I mean, he's the most experienced actor, and he's got the best character. Yeah, I'll give it to you. I I think I just have a love for John Lithgow, kind of. Yeah, I mean, he was the best, but yeah, I mean, he's the most experienced actor, and Judd is awesome. Yeah. And uh, Jete? Yeah, I'd say Jete. Jete Lawrence is Ellie. Hugo and Lucas Lavoie as Gage. Uh, Obasa? 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 Obasa Ahmed as Victor Pascal. And Alyssa Brooke Levin as Zelda. So. I'm going to give away a little bit of my opinion on this. This is a movie made by someone who really knows how to cast the hell out of a movie, but not how to make a movie. Mm. I was super happy with all the casting and I wish they were in a better film. Well, I mean, that's, uh, that's something that we've seen. You know, you have somebody who knows how to put, who's good on the idea of assembling it, but just can't get it across the finish line. Yeah. I, I, I was like, as far as I could tell for each of the characters, maybe they didn't hit exactly my mental image of them, but they were all like super acceptable. Mm. And yeah, unfortunately, yeah, there were some decisions made. Yeah. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. Unlike Pet Cemetery, 1989, Judd actually provides a hint at what's being done when he explains to Lewis what he's learned about the burial ground. Judd's home is full of books about Native American lore, part of a lifetime of research about the woods. As Lewis flips through one book, he sees the same warning markings that he spotted on the trees, and then an illustration of a wendigo, a towering figure with antlers of a deer. So, thanks, Judd. 
Uh, the film also does not specify the illness that befell Zelda. If it's Rachel's memory, we never say what it, what she has. It's Rachel's memory. She never say what she has. But in the first one, it was spinal meningitis. Which, if you are familiar with meningitis, spinal meningitis will kill you in about twenty four hours if you're not if it's not treated. Okay. Yeah, and I thought that was the same in the book, but there was some reason why she hung on. I could be wrong though. Well, it kind of goes back to the him hating her fa- her parents also because who the hell leaves an eight year old alone in the house with someone who's that sick? Yeah, yeah, bad parents. That's who. Moving on in the scene where Lewis walks down to the basement and the cat hisses at him and then runs upstairs. The cat was actually trained to hiss and growl when uh, it was shown a specific toy. Before shooting the scene, the trainer placed the cat at the bottom of the stairs. Another trainer was just off camera in front of the cat and kept repeating stay and wait to the cat and gave treats as needed. The cat remained in uh, sit staying and as he looked, walked down the street, down the stairs. And uh, once the actor hit his mark, the trainer showed the cat the toy and on cue, the cat hissed and ran up the stairs. That's probably why the cat looks so much less bad in this. Well, I think in this one, there's a lot of cat trivia in this. I'm like, <laughs> I'm not joking. <laughs> they use that. I was digging because like every other, I mean, I'm, I'm not joking. 70% of the trivia on here was a paragraph about the cats. And they had five different cats that they used for this. They had seven in the original. Yeah. Oh, you know, what I completely forgot about the original when the, when um, the cat is in the tree and the dad like reels back to punch the cat in the face. Yeah. I I just thought that was hilarious. <laughs> that you were gonna <laughs> that. He's like, I've always wanted to punch a cat in the face. That was the <laughs> <awesome>. best. <laughs> um, in Pet Cemetery 89, the driver of the gasoline truck that struck Gage is listening to Sheena is a punk rocker by the Ramones. In this, the driver of the truck is distracted by a call on his cell phone, and the caller's name on the phone is Sheena, which hmm. I thought was kind of cool. Very trivial. Yeah, it's less cheeky than a lot of the other stuff they do, presuming you saw the original. And they did that quite a bit, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, another detail absent from the new film, in interest of keeping its plot streamlined, was the bad blood that we mentioned about Rachel's parents and Lewis. There's a small remnant of it where you can see the father-in-law give Lewis a dirty look at the funeral, but that's a tip of the hat to the subject matter. Yeah, I I know why they chose to do like they went on record talking about why they chose to kill Ellie instead of Gage, mainly because it looks fucking stupid to have a two year old wandering around with a knife. It didn't look good in the original. It it only works on the page that I thought was one of the few intelligent choices they made besides casting these actors. And they apparently got a lot of kickback and flack for it, too. Yeah, they did. They were over cute assuming you saw the original with the close-up on gauge running towards the road and then up mm-hmm. oh, surprise that's not what we're doing they did the same thing with uh judd on the stairs it's like you think it's gonna happen now up oh, fake jump scare mm. I, I i thought it worked well when it came to the you know saving gauge and killing ellie i thought it worked well on that one it actually did kind of take me by surprise i thought it was a good choice well, and it, you know, like a, a seven or eight year old girl can definitely do a lot more than a two year old boy can. Hundred percent, yeah. And so, 
I, I yeah, I mean, I get the choice. Yep, uh, for sure. That's one of the things I don't have an issue with. It's it's just unfortunate that the pacing was so messed up that I found myself incredibly bored. But this was like a hundred minutes that felt like three hundred. Well, Laura and I watched this probably two months ago, maybe, and we were both excited. We're like, oh, you know, cool. It's got a good cast. You know, trailer looks pretty good, like the original. And spoiler alert, uh, we uh, when we came decided to do the show, I turned to her and I'm like, we're not watching that again. <laughs> wow, that's uh, something, man. Yeah, I I once was enough. I mean, I went back and watched some YouTube uh, reviews of the the movie just to kind of get some of the plot points so I could refresh it in my memory. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I just I, at the end of the movie, I was like, what the fuck just happened? Why? What? No. Well, apparently, if you bury the eight-year-old girl into, into the barrel ground, she comes back as a 14-year-old. <laughs> With natty dreads. Oh, that's funny, because that's how old they were when... Or that's how old she was when I moved there. Right? Katie was 14. Yeah. We get that, that snarkiness. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> that That look with the forehead forward and that you know just barely looking at you out of the corner of their eye kind of thing Mm -hmm. you know one thing this movie did have going for it was the production design like the cinematography was very well done i liked the 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 masks the kids were wearing you know it looked very pretty but it's like the the substance just wasn't wasn't there like it felt like I don't know, either they were trying too hard or they weren't trying hard enough. I'm not sure which. And I felt that way about the procession of the kids with the masks. Like, immediately off the kick, they were trying too hard. Like, this is something that, like, it's so bizarre that it's completely out of place. Yeah. And if I've just moved into a new town, that's I own all this land, and I look out back and see that wandering through my backyard... That shit's getting an end to it right away. You know, I'm not, there's not, you know, I don't even know. I don't even know what I would do if that's where you see that marching around. But, you know, you go to the cops or something and be like, look, I just moved into town. Got these little psycho kids in masks wheeling their dead dog through my backyard. You hire a bulldozer to come through and just level all that for. Yeah. And dig, and dig up all those bodies and everything and tear up all that stuff and build a big old wall. Yep. Sometimes a fence is better. <laughs> yeah, even that, man. I mean, just I can't imagine any mother that would look in that, look out back and see, just be like, oh, they're having a procession. I mean, Patrick's solution is interesting, but when that happens, I mean, you basically end up with poltergeist. We know that paving over graveyards and just building shit there, that does not fix the problem. Yeah, but it's animal ghosts. I mean, what are they going to do? You're going to get some ghost gerbils or something? <laughs> Get poultry geists. Uh, Coming over to visit. (laughs) That was mostly for Joel because I'm sure he knows that movie. I know that movie and I don't want him to get excited about thinking we might do that. I've seen that movie so many times. Carolyn, go to the exercise wheel. (laughs) (laughs) So Josh, does this hold closer to the book? I mean, it did. It, it, that's This movie was super frustrating for me because 
it's like I thought Victor in particular, like the way they handled him, the casting of the kid, the effects uh, when he came in all fucked up from being hit by the car. It was all really cool. The The problem is, is like they, they made all these good choices in a, an overall bad movie. Mm. I think I'm the only one out of this group that kind of liked this movie. I wouldn't say that I, in, you know, that it was good or anything, but I mean, I kind of, I think the biggest problem with this movie, like as you said earlier, Josh, is the pacing. There were moments when it was just very, very boring. Yeah. yeah. But overall, I thought it was pretty good. I rarely will let the clock run out on the movie and like walk away to make dinner. It's like, I, I know I'm not going to fucking miss anything. And I didn't. <laughs> Did anybody feel like, Judd was less likable. I'm not saying that I, I, I think John Lithgow is a hell of an actor, but I felt like in the first version, the relationship between Judd and, and Lewis was a bit more believable. And here it felt like John was kind of playing it. Like he was, was kind of a dick sometimes. Uh, like he wasn't as friendly and kind of new Englandy. Yeah. He was a little bit more, abrasive to his benefit for lack of yeah defense i guess you know if you drug me i'm going to be a little bit of a dick to you too so and he's supposed to be prickly but they kind of cut out a little bit of the development because his wife norma isn't in this movie either and there are bits about how the families come closer together when judd helps him when there's a health scare with norma and then even after her health scare, she dies eventually. And like beers out on the porch with Judd while Judd's chain smoking and they're both drinking cold beers. There are multiple scenes like that of them drinking together in the book. And when you cut that, you cut the relationship. Mm. Which his wife was in it briefly. When uh, Ish. She, li- she lifted the mask. Right. Yeah. But was she was very- already dead in the story. Right. We're in both versions of the movie. She dies. Her death is a plot point in the book. So yeah, it's kind of a throwaway moment as far as that goes, just as a way to kind of taunt him. But it doesn't really have much gravitas because people are like, wait, what did we see her before? Did I miss something? And the fact that the effects made her look like real Perlman. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I did like the leaning more on the Wendigo thing. That's one thing I did like all of this because it made more sense when they come back. And, and that's the thing is I think in a lot of ways, the improvements actually made me more upset because the original was just like a not very well made horror movie that like had some bad effects, had a bunch of bad actors. This one was more frustrating for me because they got so close to being good. Yeah, I think they made it. I think it, I, I think it did end on up on the side of good. Again, not great, but I I don't think it's, failures are so bad that it makes it a bad movie. And I'm saying that with like full knowledge of there were, I stopped this movie like three times while watching it because I just wasn't into it enough to, to keep watching it for the full run. I'm not saying I'm not giving it a glowing review. I'm just saying I didn't think it was bad. So you're saying maybe if it was a mini series, it would have been better. Watch it in three installments. <laughs> well, that's so what I, I did. Through it all. <laughs> now, I don't know if we're at this point where we can talk about this yet, but it's something that I had come across in my post research that the original ending or the ending in the film, which, you know, fuck spoilers, 
everybody but Gage has come back, which I don't know what it is in the book, but there was an alternate ending where Rachel and Ellie are both back, but Lewis doesn't ever die and get buried. And so Lewis is there with Gage and his two zombie partner and, and child. And they, they do like a shot with him in the window and they kind of pull out from the window and it looks like a frame, like a, like a family portrait. I kind of thought that's the direction they were going to go was, was kind of like a, Oh God, what's the, the movie with um Simon Pegg, the zombie movie. Shaun of the Dead. Yeah. Shaun of the Dead. I thought they were going to go for like a Shaun of the Dead type ending where he, you know, ends up living with the zombies. Which is what the alternate ending was. And what I was wondering was, well, number one, I hate to keep coming back to Josh because I don't know how much he remembers the book, but I don't know what the book did, but I kind of feel like that might've been a more satisfying ending than potentially having the four of them or the three of them engage being all zombies or okay. whatever. I do remember the ending of the book. The ending of the book, basically like Ellie and Lewis get away. Uh, he, he's put down the cat and he's put down Gage. But when Rachel dies, he has a mental break. He's just like, I, I let Gage sit in the ground too long. That was the problem. I can still, I can make it right. I can bury Rachel. So he buries Rachel in the cemetery thinking that since he got to her immediately, it's all going to be fine. And like the last scene, he's moved away and he's sitting by the fire in a completely different area. And there's a hand on his shoulder and he hears his wife's voice creaking, just saying, darling. And that's how the book ends. So like the official ending of the book, it's assumed that Lewis is killed by Rachel and Ellie's the only survivor. Hmm. I, I did not like the way they chose to go with this one. I just, the thought of the three of them, possibly the four of them all being like that, just. Well, and obviously what what is insinuated there is they're all going to gang up and kill Gage. And bury him and be a zombie family. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's what you see in the very beginning, because that's where it starts out as you see the blood on the door and everything going from the car to the door. So it goes full circle from the opening scene. But I mean, how long is that going to be viable? You know, I know that's not the point of looking forward, you know, a I mean, year. They don't let you in Trader Joe's looking like that. <laughs> but I mean, well, you know, actually, I, now that I think about it with all the masks and everything, you might get away with it a little more. It, I mean, at least in the in the in the first movie, like, I'm a hippie. <laughs> they show you what happens when they you bring back an adult and the town finds out. You know, they they form a lynch mob that instead of just killing the guy, they burn the whole fucking house down, which seems a little excessive. But I mean, is that what's going to happen here? I mean, they didn't even they just briefly mentioned that story in this. They didn't do a flashback or anything. Yeah, well, I mean, this story doesn't have a happy ending. Right. No. Yeah. The Beyond this ending, I, I think the answer to that question is who cares? <laughs> fair, fair, yeah. fair. Yeah, judge, judge dead. Let's just move along. And I get in the book that Lewis helps Judd save his wife, at least briefly. But even so, he knows what happens when you bring something back for, or you put buried in the, the sour ground. So why would he help him to do it in the first place? I mean, I guess. 
Well, he, well, his explanation for it was is that the little girl got to him so much she just couldn't have her. She just couldn't expect her to be in such pain with her cat being dead. So, and he used that to rationalize to convince himself that this time it would be okay, which and, really is a weak excuse. Well, but the thing is, is that's part of the effect of the cemetery because that happens to Judd, and then it happens to Lewis twice more where he's like, he's already seen what happens to the cat, but he chooses to bury his son and his wife in the same ground. It's just one of those things. The cemetery talks you into doing stupid shit to bury more things in it. Hmm. We were joking about what if uh, Judd buried his empty pack of cigarettes in there? Would it come back as a full pack of zombie cigarettes? No, because it's a pet cemetery. But anyway. You talk about some weird shit, dude. Wait, well, that's what we do when we watch movies. Well, how did you guys feel about the interpretation of Zelda in this film? It's pretty fucked up. Her falling through the dumbwaiter? Yeah, and just the way that she was portrayed was... I know a lot of people talk about how in the original film that, that scene with Zelda like messed them up. like They were like freaked out by her. I thought this that was one thing they did in a way that it was a lot more unsettling. And they got me with the jump scare when she was looking up the dumbwaiter. I was going to say, I, I think that's actually a criticism I have is that like the few scary moments in this film were mostly jump scares, which I, I find to be like the lowest form of scare. Yeah, because it's easy to do. Yeah, they, they're cheap. They're cop outs. I'm trying to see. What was the rating of this? Bad. <laughs> Not that I, I, I was R. OK, I thought it was R rated, but I wasn't sure. Oh jeez! Uh, it has 5.7 out of 10 on IMDb, and the original has 6.6. Those both actually seem about right to me. Like, n- neither of these deserve, like, threes. But I wouldn't go so far as to call either of them eights. I agree with it. Yeah. And Cemetery 2 got 4.9. Just a yeah. sidebar. Yeesh. Was you know, there a TV show? Of Pet Cemetery? Yeah. And by the way, I want to say that the, the actress that played Ellie did a good job as a zombie. She was creepy. and The performances were fine. Yeah. It was all script and filmmaking problems with this. Yeah, it's like they had all the right moving parts, but they didn't know how to put them together. <laughs> yeah. That's, mm-hmm. But when, when uh, Rachel calls up and she's standing there and she, he looks at the she goes, what are you going to tell her? <laughs> mm-hmm. I thought, I mean, I, I thought she did a good job as a creepy little undead kid. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Right. The right ingredients, but somebody didn't read the directions on how to make the movie. And I don't think that's, this is the first time that I've felt this way, that it's more frustrating to me to get this close and fail. Like I almost prefer that it was just shit. <laughs> I agree. Hmm. So. Yeah, maybe it's because I can imagine another reality where like all of these actors were cast in the same roles and the movie was actually good. Yeah, you being the only one that's read the book, you know, you have, I I think you have an advantage and you have a reason to be angry. Yeah, and I try to check that at the door. I don't always succeed. 
Like that was a, a bigger problem before we started doing this podcast. And since we've started doing this podcast, I've tried to like, okay, this is a property I care about. And I know I'm letting going to let that affect me emotionally. I'm going to try to set that aside. But mm-hmm. uh, I, I don't think that's realistic when it comes to something that's like, this could have been the perfect interpretation of this. And it just wasn't good. Well, in, in the, the current status of Stephen King adaptations, I'd say the majority of them have been really well done and very well received. Lately, yeah. Yeah, I mean, because you look at the 80s and there's a lot of of the hits and misses. And lately it's just been like one after the other has been like, wow, that was really good. And then this came along and I'm like, okay, great. Another one. Cool. And then it's like, "Mm." (laughs) you thought jump scare. We got you. (laughs) Boo. If you're going to try to lampoon the jump scare, you can't then turn around and, and utilize it. Oh, I can, Patrick, and I will. No, no, you cannot. I just, I just said you can't. He's got you there, man. Yep. What are you going to do? He's just said you can't. Other people can. Just Joel can. Just, just Joel can. Yeah, he's the only one I'm, I'm worried about. I'm going to murder you and bury you in the cemetery. (laughs) Cemetery. That, that, that checks out. That's probably how I would get murdered is to be brought back. (laughs) And Pat comes out. He's like, ah, shit. Are you kidding me? Zombie life now? Uh. <laughs> Zombie dealer. <laughs> yeah, he's still expected to go to work. <laughs> Raise. <laughs> I appreciate that. Well, you wouldn't have to wear your mask, though. Hey, good point. So, Why do I need to wear a mask? I don't breathe. <laughs> You're ugly. Oh. <laughs> I mean, zombie cat would be. <laughs> Wow, wait a second. Yeah, nice, yes, nice, nice, nice try there, sir. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I the while it's obvious, I think it is tradition. We should probably do the thumbs up, thumbs down. Indeed. Yeah. Uh for me, it's super obvious from the beginning. Get thumbs down on both. Yeah. Joel? Uh well, I I again probably being obvious, I thumbs up on the original and thumbs down on the remake. Pat, we we are all over the board because I am thumbs down on the original and thumbs up on the remake. Wow, Mike, I was going to be thumbs down on the original, but then Pascal's shorty shorts made me go to a thumbs up. Oh. <laughs> no, I like, take that. You like that thigh meat, huh? <laughs> I like that. I like that that pale white thigh meat of Brad Greenquist. <laughs> um, no, thumbs down on both. I. Uh, like when I was watching, I actually wound up renting one of them because I couldn't find it anywhere. And I, the problem was I paused it to go do something else real quick. But when you paused it, it would tell you how much time you had left. And then I'd just get depressed. It's like, pause. You have 78 minutes left. Oh, Damn it. Sometimes dead is better. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I was last week on Suspiria because like, I, I paused it at one point thinking I was at close to the end. And I'm like, 50 minutes left. Oh, in the remake that is yeah. Like yeah. four hours long. Yeah, they're doing what I thought was like the finale dance thing, and I'm like, okay, well, it's getting close to being done. 50 minutes! <laughs> I've been lied to! <laughs> so, Joel, what are we doing next week? Next week, we're taking a trip to HP Lovecraft territory. We're talking about Die, monster, die, versus Nicolas Cage's The Color Out of Space. 
I'm really curious about where this is going to go. Too, because uh, I was talking with Sarah about this. When we do Octobu, it, it seems like we usually once a year get one movie or two movies that we're all like super happy we saw, and a bunch of stuff that like maybe Joel likes it, nobody else does, or whatever. But it, it, it's like we we do eight movies, and it seems like one or two are really good, and the others are kind of mixed to bad. Yeah. So I'm kind of wondering where this last week is going to land. So if if you have any opinions about any of the horror movies we talk about during October, or you have specific opinions, maybe about uh, Pet Cemetery, considering I know we kind of trashed the first one, like three out of the four of us did, and some of you love it. Uh, let us know your thoughts. Give us a call at 708-NOW-RAP. That's 708-669-9727. Yep. And again, if you want to find our stuff on uh, other places, like Google and Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Talk Shoe, Podbrush FM, we are all over the place. iHeartRadio and uh, Spotify, that's the word I was trying to think of. <laughs> and uh, I also want to toss out a thank you to two of our loyal listeners. Uh, we have a on our website a link to our Kofi site, which gives us a little bit of extra cash for running the servers to keep us up and running. And uh, Dan and Something Fruity both gave us a little bit to keep things going. And Dan salutes us with the traditional butts to the front. And, oh, man. Uh, how old is Butts to the Front now? We've been doing this seven years. It's got to be like four years old. When was the Back to the Future show? No, when's no, it would, wasn't. That was from the Twee. Yeah. Jeez, it's got to be at least six and a half years. It's been a while. That's for sure. Yeah. And then something fruity says, you guys have given me years of entertainment, useless cricket trivia, and smiles. Thank you for that. Aw. Well, thank you to you too. Yeah. Really appreciate it. But yeah, we will be next week. Be back with uh, some uh, Miskatonic mysteries and uh, see where we go from there with the Colorado space. All right, you ready? You ready for this? Oh, oh! Show number fifty, Soda Popinski in the Twee, is music and movies. BTTF is in the middle of its twelve-week run at number one. Okay, so that was year one. Yeah. What episode? 2014, show 50. Wow. 50. Wow. That's six years ago. Yeah. Jesus. 300 episodes ago. Okay. So, yeah. Uh, join us for our last episode of Octobu for 2020. The colors, they're spooky. Nick Cage. Bees. Bees. <laughs> Not the bees. I'm going to punch that fucking bear in the face. <laughs> not that movie alright well we'll be back next week thanks for listening drop the money Say your exit line and then you can go. Pat screwed up. I'm saying <laughs> this again. Be back in a little bit and we'll we'll uh, talk about Pet Cemetery 2019. See now I lost the passion. If I pay you more, will you do that again better? Come back now. We'll listen to Pet Cemetery 2019. <laughs>